0: To the Scriptures are Real Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about elements of the Scriptures that have become real to us because we believe that helps us draw that power into our lives more as the Savior and all that He does and all that His prophets do become real to us. I'm your host, Kerry Mielstein, and I'm thrilled to have with me again, uh, uh, now a, a frequently uh, occurring guest, maybe we'll make uh, him an honorary co-host, but hmm. uh, we have Andrew Skinner with us, who is a, a former... Uh, chairman of the Department of Ancient Scripture and former Dean of Religious Education and former Director Well of the Neil A. Maxwell Institute for Religious Studies and uh, or Scholarship and and uh, and all sorts of other things. A long pedigree. We've introduced him before, and so I'll just say, welcome, Andy. Thanks for being with us. Oh, thank you, Carrie. It's such a privilege to
1: be with you. We all appreciate your uh, guidance through the Scriptures and your mentorship.
0: So thank you very very much. Well, thank you. And I, I guess I should also say a prolific author, you really should go uh, look at some of the uh, the different things that uh, uh, Dr. Skinner, uh, whom I refer to as my friend Andy, uh, has written. Uh, and some of those we'll bring up when we get to, for instance, the the Passion Week and so on. But um, anyway, and, and one thing that maybe we'll start this with, uh, it, maybe two things, we're going to uh, just give you some bullet points of what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the topic of miracles today and uh, and the Savior and his ability to work miracles and the effects they have and, and why and what we should learn from them and how it might affect us with all sorts of interesting background information on that. But I also uh, just want to, uh, as often as I can remember at the beginning of the podcast, encourage everybody to please not let this or any other podcast become a substitute for actually reading the scriptures. We want to enhance your scripture reading. If we replace it, then we've done us all a disservice. So please listen to us, and hopefully it helps you understand the scriptures better, but read those scriptures, read the accounts we'll talk about today. That's where the real power is. So with all of that in mind, uh, Andy, why don't you... uh... Talk to us a little bit about uh, some of the miracles of Jesus and anything in particular that has uh, made these stories real for you.
1: Thank you, and thanks for that uh, that uh, caveat. All of us need to be in the Scriptures on a daily basis, and I, I love the way that you put it. So our topic, obviously, today is miracles, and maybe a little background to our general topic uh, would be helpful to our listeners Uh, And this will be more, I think, uh, geographical introduction than uh, perhaps doctrinal, but I think it's helpful to visualize uh, where Jesus is, what Jesus is doing during that three-year period of his ministry. So uh, we know that Jesus performed uh, his first recorded miracle uh, in Cana of Galilee, which is in the north part of the country. And uh, and it's at a wedding feast, and that's recorded in John chapter 2, verses uh, 1 through 11. And uh, and what we uh, come to appreciate about this first miracle, first recorded miracle, uh, as Jesus uh, is uh, moving through the first year of his public ministry, is uh, the purposes, And and we can talk about several purposes, but it occurs to us, that uh, one of the purposes is that he is uh, trying to please his mother, uh, and that, and we get a sense of that when in John chapter two, uh, his mother comes to him and says, uh, "We don't have uh, enough wine," and so Jesus does want to to please his mother, and I find that uh, an important principle uh, in our lives that. Uh, Whatever our relationships are with our parents, we, we do owe them uh, uh, and owe our Father in Heaven for this uh, magnificent plan that He's established. Uh, we also come to appreciate the fact that this miracle is performed to demonstrate Jesus' messianic power, and particularly His power over the elements, the physical elements of the earth. Uh, if we look at uh, verse 6 of John chapter 2, for example, we note that this is a big miracle. This is a lot of water that's turned into wine. Yeah. Now, verse six says, there were set before him six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews containing three or four firkins apiece. Well, not to belabor the point, you can do the math, but uh, we I think we're talking a lot, uh, over a hundred gallons yeah. uh, of water turned into wine. And, uh, and you know, you've undoubtedly and our readers have undoubtedly come across the idea of ritual purification and, and how some vessels carry uh, ritual impurities and others do not. And so water pots, stone water pots uh, are the preferred method of, of using um, for uh, all different kinds of circumstances. And then uh, one of the I think one of the important uh, um, principles that we learned from John chapter two, the, this very first miracle and first verses 11. one through 11, where it says, this is the beginning of the miracles that Jesus did manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. And so miracles uh, are uh, uh, graciously are given to us to bless our lives, but they're also uh, uh, manifestations of, Jesus' glory, and they help to convert us. They don't create faith, but the faith that we do possess, I think, is magnified when we see Jesus or our Father in Heaven operating in this natural world. And I, uh, and I love uh, that concept.
0: Sorry, sorry, I didn't mean yeah. to interrupt. I, I agree, and I, and I think that they, you're right that they can magnify faith we already have. They can also lead us into the process of developing faith. They they can catch that attention and and so on. In fact, chapter two, verse 11, that's the one that that talks about at the beginning of of his uh, signs. And I think that that brings up an important um, point. Uh, And I'm not the one who notices other people notice this long before me. But um, if you look at what we call the synoptic writers, so that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the word that they use most of the time that we translate as miracle, is the word dynamis, right? that our word dynamite comes from, yeah. and so on and and it's a work that mean it's a powerful deed or a powerful work, right? Yeah, but John most of the time uses a different term. um he will sometimes use one called ergon, which is is work where that's not called that's the Greek word. But most yeah. of the time he uses a Greek word called uh, semion, which is sign yeah and and for John, that does seem to be the emphasis that these are signs as to who Christ is. And Christ will often talk about the work which I do beareth record of me. And that that work probably refers to a number of things, but at least some of it has to be these miracles and how they are signs. And so I think that ties into verse 11 that you were talking about, the beginning of the signs. And uh, and this really does have a powerful effect
1: on those that he has just recently called to be his disciples out of whom will be chosen 12 uh, apostles who will end up holding the keys of the kingdom yeah. uh, as we will see later on so this is this is an interesting chapter an important chapter uh, and what we find uh, after uh, immediately after the the wedding uh, feast is that uh, Jesus then will go down to capernaum so he leaves uh, cana which is up in the uh, in the nazareth mountains uh, somewhere between 1,600 and 1,700 feet in elevation, and then he will go down to Capernaum, which is a fishing village on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, and that's about 700 feet below sea level. So you get an appreciation for um, the the physical rigor of Jesus's ministry. He's up in the mountains, and then he's down way below sea level, and he's uh, taking his disciples all over and uh, we we come to appreciate, I think, as a result of that, the many women uh, in his uh, the early part of his ministry, well, all through his ministry, who minister unto him of their substance. Uh, this this is real work. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's the gospel in action, but it's real work. And so uh, I've I've come to appreciate the the physicality involved in his ministry, and we see that here when Jesus leaves. Uh, Cana, just just north of Nazareth, what what was his hometown, and uh, heads down to uh, Capernaum. And from Capernaum, then, we don't know how much time he spends on this particular occasion, but we do know from uh, the Gospels, and particularly the Gospel of John, that he leaves Galilee and goes down to Jerusalem once again. And in Jerusalem, we pick up the
0: narrative in John chapter 3, yeah, and, and maybe Which, just to your point, that's that's a long walk, right? That <laughs> he, is, that is, and that's and a, he goes down below hike. sea, yeah, and he goes yeah. down below sea level, and then back way up to above sea level, like twenty six hundred feet above sea level to get to Jerusalem, right? So that's that's exactly to your point. Right. It's a lot of work, and uh, and so uh, John chapter three then
1: uh, continues the narrative, and there uh, Jesus encounters Nicodemus. And he teaches Nicodemus about, uh, spiritual rebirth or being born again, uh, born of the water and of the spirit. And that is something that Nicodemus, uh, has, uh, sort of ferreted out for himself, uh, that, that there's something different about what Jesus is saying. And, uh, and he knows that Jesus uh, is a magnificent teacher. He refers to Jesus as rabbi. Uh, and then, uh, Jesus but, but he is, also
0: says no one can do the works you do without being sent God from be God. So those, those signs are already catching yeah. people's attention so they can go through this faith development process that we spoke about. That's exactly right. So uh,
1: Jesus's reputation has preceded him. And uh, one of the interesting things about Nicodemus, of course, is that uh, he's a, a member of the illustrious uh, council referred to as the sanhedrin but he comes to Jesus by night and i suspect that there's a lot going on under the surface uh, he he's trying to figure out who Jesus is uh, for me the point is is that this is the beginning of nicodemus's conversion to yes. the gospel of Jesus Christ and we all have that go through that process that nicodemus is going through and uh, your point that uh, yeah no and nicodemus says to him no man can do these miracles that thou doest except god be with him so you're exactly right it's the it's the miracles it's the it's the works it's the power uh of jesus that's manifested in the everyday lives of people that that i think in part or in great part motivates nicodemus so we we then appreciate the fact that that uh, Jesus decides to go back to Galilee, uh, but he does do it uh, using a different route. And the route that he chooses to take is through Samaria. And of course, this brings Jesus in contact with the woman at the well, with uh, all of the Samaritans that have uh, gathered in that area. And Samaritans are uh, not well liked by the Jews. Uh, the Samaritans are, I think, regarded no no disrespect in this term, but I think it's accurate that the Jews regard the Samaritans as half breeds. They they are uh, what what you would call uh, a, a mixed race from the Jewish point of view, and yeah. that goes all the way back to the bab uh, to the uh, Assyrian uh, captivity of the ten northern tribes, which is referred to as the Kingdom of Israel. And the deportation of the ten tribes, and then the importation of, uh, of those who are not uh, covenant uh, keepers, those who are not members of the covenant, uh, who, who are pagans, and the residue, if I can use that term, of the of the Jews and the ten uh, northern tribes mix with the people who are imported and produces the Samaritans because their capital is in Samaria.
0: Uh, to this is distinct, some we... 750 years before Christ, right? So Yes. This, seven, is, this seven, is old history by then. 721 BC, the Assyrian
1: uh, captivity of the Northern Kingdom uh, and the Southern Kingdom where the temple is, where Jerusalem was located, they are able to hang on for... Another 100, 150 years, but they ultimately succumbed to the conquest of the Babylonians in 586 B.C., and then you have the return of of the the Jews in 538. All of that is history. That Jesus knows the history very well. Uh, So does Nicodemus. The interesting thing here, the point to be made, is that Jesus decides to go back to Galilee not by the regular route, um, the you know the Jordan Valley route, uh, but rather through Samaria. There he encounters the woman at the well. Uh, that's an an amazing exchange, one of the great passages in Scripture, I think, because of what it teaches and the way Jesus teaches it, and the fact that Jesus, uh, one of the rare occasions that Jesus personally identifies himself as the Christ, as the Messiah. I that speak unto thee am He. And then, uh, uh, because of the conversion of this woman at the well, we see uh, the, the people in, in Samaria uh, ask Jesus—I suppose—beg Jesus to stay with them longer. And the—I the, uh, uh, don't know if it's a large group, but a, a number of people in in, uh, in the area, in the town, are converted to Jesus not now because of the testimony of the woman who was first converted woman at the well, but because they come to know for themselves. And one wonders what, what uh, magnificent works Jesus did or may have done there. And, uh, and that's a, that's a a really, I can't emphasize enough how important um, a, uh, a chapter. This is John chapter four. Because of, of the effect, the ripple effect of Jesus and the ripple effect of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then we see as he's making his way to uh, to his hometown of Nazareth, the very interesting description in John chapter four, starting with verses with verse forty six, and if I can, I'd like to refer to this passage because it has an interesting comment at the end of this section uh you were going to make a comment i didn't mean to no no i I made the comment i was going to make okay so let's look at john chapter 4 verse 46 uh as jesus is making his way from jerusalem through samaria to his hometown it says jesus verse 46 of john 4 jesus came again into cana of Galilee, where he had made water into wine, and there a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. But he's not yet at Capernaum; he's in Cana. Uh, when he heard that Jesus would come out of Judea into Galilee, he went and, and besought him that he would come down. So we get that geographical reference there, because uh, you're going down uh, 700 feet below sea level. He says, so "Please heal my son; he's at the point of death." And and Jesus says to him, except you see signs and wonders, uh, you will not believe. The nobleman says unto him, well, sir, come and and see my child. And so Jesus says to him, go your way. Your son lives. The miracle that you've requested, the sign that you've requested has been performed. And uh, and then at the very end of this section, verse 54, John says, Wants us to know that he is a witness of these events. This isn't this isn't just storytelling in a generic way, but he includes a very specific comment in verse 54. This is again the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come out of Judea into Jerusalem. So John tells or in, us into Galilee, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So he's come yeah. out of Judea into Galilee. And Jesus is there. Jesus goes to the hometown of Nazareth. Uh, I think most people are familiar with with the story that unfolds there. Jesus goes into the synagogue uh, for to worship. Uh, The scroll uh, is handed to him. He reads from Isaiah chapter 61. And he both testifies and teaches of his messianic calling and uh, this ultimately results in people that he was raised with people from his own town becoming angry and so uh, he is led i think by the spirit out of that danger they they really do want to kill him and and then jesus goes down to capernaum and if we can be so bold as to say this for all intents and purposes, now in Capernaum begins an intense ministry of signs and wonders and
0: miracles, and it yeah. and it all centers around Capernaum. Yeah, now I, I find it interesting, and I'd like to get your opinion on this. If, if that verse you highlighted, um, where John says it's the second miracle when he's come out of Judea into Galilee, I mean, it's it's clear here's, there've been a number of miracles, uh, or else uh nicodemus doesn't come and say uh okay these things are you have to do them of god and then there are other you know and other accounts i i I don't know if john's saying this is the second one that i saw or if this is the second one in that area um because that is i mean it, it seems to still happen in cana so it's the second one in cana uh or i don't know exactly what he means by that but i yeah I'm that's curious.
1: that's a challenging question uh and that's why i emphasized the word recorded yeah. we talked about the first recorded miracle in john this right. is the second recorded miracle in john and i think uh you've put us on to something this is the second miracle that john has witnessed he he wants people to know that he's been an eyewitness of the miraculous workings of, of jesus because you're right. How could Nicodemus say to Jesus in Jerusalem, we know thou art a teacher come from God, for no man do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. So there have been miracles. We don't know how many. But this yeah. is the second one that John has witnessed. So, yeah. uh, and, and and that's, uh, you know, I, I suppose it's open to interpretation. But you're right. We, we don't, if we make a, a list of the miracles, we don't really know how many total yeah. miracles Jesus His whole life was filled uh, with with miracles. And and you've talked about, uh, I understand before, the significance of, of Capernaum. But one of the points that I find interesting, it's been made by uh, different uh, scholars, is that um, if... if if the experience that Jesus had in Nazareth of people wanting to take his life then spills over into Capernaum, it's on uh, it's on a major highway system and he can go in different directions to avoid uh, you know, people continuing
0: to, to want to kill him. So And he Capernaum, can also go by boat to get away. Um so oh, yeah. that's that's helpful and then maybe i can just uh speak to a couple other things along those lines so w- one of the things that seems to make Capernaum in an ideal position it has uh, a couple of good bays around it so fishermen can can easily bring their boats in and those bays in Capernaum are near a series of warm springs that when the water gets cold uh there are a number of types of fish including uh tilapia and, and so on that um that like to come up to where those warm springs are, so it becomes one of the better fishing places yeah. in in the Sea of Galilee. So it's not a surprise that people like Peter and Andrew and James and John, who are fishermen, would would congregate in that area. And and maybe just to speak, because now as I think about, it, I think that these are the, these three cities are mentioned in this week's reading, and it goes back to your point of the Savior and walking. Um, there are three cities that. Seem to that that seem to be where the savior spent more time than anywhere else. Um, and they're Capernaum number one, and then Bethsaida and Corazine. Um, so uh, we could uh, put a map up, but it would have copyright issues, and most of the audience isn't watching, so I'm going to try and describe it. If you think of um, uh, the Sea of Galilee, it's often described as being shaped like a harp, but it's kind of rounded at the top. So the top is the north, kind of due north. And if you put Capernaum kind of basically in the center of that northern part, right on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And then if you were to go to the right or east and up a little bit, we don't know exactly where Bethsaida is. There are a couple of candidates, but it's, it's just a little bit north and east of Capernaum. Uh, and then Chorazin is north and west of Capernaum. We do know where Chorazin is, and it's a, a pretty good hike up. It's 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 pretty steep up. And these three cities are often called the, the evangelical triangles. Um, and you'll see in the reading for this week that uh, the Savior gets after them. He curses them because of all of the miracles that have been worked in them. And he says, if those miracles had been worked in Sodom and Gomorrah, people would have believed. And so that gives you an idea that there are a lot of miracles going on here, more than what we have recorded surely uh, in in those three cities. And uh, so the Savior is traveling to all sorts of places, but apparently between those three, which involves a lot of hiking, a just steep up and yeah. down and steep up and down, uh, and yet he does it to heal and and to work these miracles that bless people's lives. And the the, surely there are many people who do respond. We know that because many of the apostles are from that area, but apparently there are plenty of people who don't respond to the point where the savior uh, will curse those cities in that evangelical triangle because of it. So hopefully that helps our readers or our listeners uh, picture this a little bit.
1: Uh, That's an interesting point. We see a real dichotomy between believers and non-believers, uh, Capernaum is the is the uh, home of Peter. Uh, We know that Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law there. Uh, It's also the home of Andrew, Peter's brother. They have, I wouldn't say they're rich, but uh, they're not poor either. They have, um, uh, you know, a prosperous fishing business. Uh, So you have the the very very um, believing disciples uh, two of which of uh, the original apostles uh, from there but you also have those that saw these miracles this is Matthew chapter 11 uh, verse 21 through 23 I won't read all of the words but essentially Jesus says woe unto thee Chorazin woe unto thee Bethsaida for for the mighty works or if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. I say it'll be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, this is the the real uh, punchline here. For thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom. It would have remained until this day. And so we get uh, kind of the impression that uh, one of the great problems uh, in uh, Korazin, Capernaum, and Bethsaida is pride. And the Book of Mormon has a lot to say about uh, the about the uh, idea of pride and how this really is a root of so many problems, not only in Jesus's day, but in our day. And, uh, and so we, we can see how the biblical text will be tremendously informed by our continuing study of, of the Book of Mormon. Uh, we probably should have mentioned that too when we talked about John chapter 3 and spiritual rebirth, mm. which is nowhere better discussed than in the Book of Mormon. And, yes. and, and so I, I appreciate the, the, the fact that you pointed out that this leads us to believe that there were many more mighty works that are done
0: than simply those that are recorded in Scripture. Yeah, we don't have me... a, a, a single story described happening in Capernaum. We have one, I mean, in, in Chorazin, that I can remember. We have at least one in Bethsaida with a man who was blind, but uh yeah. but it's clear that there were many miracles and we just are, you know, I feel like these writers are probably like Mormon, like, okay, we couldn't record even one hundredth of the miracles that happen in these right. cities. Yeah. What does John say at the end of, of his yeah. testimony?
1: You know, yeah. the world c- itself could not contain the books that could be written about the life of the savior, his yeah. mortal ministry. I- I'd like to switch gears if that's okay. Cause we yeah. can't go through every single miracle, uh, we could, but it would be a year's worth of study. So <laughs> if I can uh, m- maybe talk uh, categorically perfect, uh, about uh, what we might refer to as um, principles associated with uh, the miracles and then make reference to some specific uh, miracles as we conclude. I think the very most important thing to remember is that the power to do miracles is one of the gifts of the spirit and uh, there are several passages in the standard works that talk about gifts of the spirit Uh, section 46 of doctrine covenants working of miracles is a gift of the spirit and we are invited by the lord in this dispensation to seek the very best gifts so this isn't something that we just throw up our hands and say well i'm not a miracle worker uh, brother Jones down the street is, uh, we are invited, uh, through prayer and through our own works, uh, good works to, uh, increase our capacity to perform miracles and to appreciate them. Uh, another thing I think is important to emphasize is that Jesus's miracles constitute a major element of his ministry. Yes. That is to say, uh, the miracles were not just an afterthought. They were not secondary to the Savior's purpose in coming to earth. They were a major part of the Savior's purpose and a major part of the Savior's uh, three-year ministry, his mortal life, really. And and that tells us that the Savior is not, not only interested in our welfare in the eternities, which he obviously is, that's the, the point of having a savior, but he really is interested in uh, the physical welfare of those that he associated with. And I think he he, he performed miracles because he loved the people. Yeah. And it was contrary to his nature uh, to see them suffer and And not understand the nature of their suffering, and not understand how, how their suffering could be a springboard to tremendous spiritual strength and spiritual enlightenment. so i I always like to emphasize that this is really not just a secondary aspect of his ministry. It is a major part of his ministry. Uh, we don't have uh, a lot of references by the savior himself about his miracles uh, but the ones that we do are very very interesting for example matthew chapter 12 jesus says i cast out devils by the spirit of god uh, he acknowledges the power that comes from um, from the holy ghost and from his heavenly father's influence uh, in Luke fact, he, chapter, he
0: frequently says that the the works he does he does be, both because he's seen the Father do them, or the Father would have him do them, and that it's with the God's power that he does that. That's a, especially in yeah. John. That's a very very frequent theme. And uh well, in in Luke eleven, which
1: is part of the "Come Follow Me" reading, along with Matthew eleven and twelve, uh says, uh, "I with the finger of God cast out uh, devils," and uh, and I think. Uh, it, Yes, he does do his works by the the power of his father, but he's also telling us that he is God. He's Jehovah come to earth. Um, another interesting um, comment by him, or comments by him, is that he regard he himself regards miracles as part of the evidence of his divine calling. Mm-hmm. Uh that the miracles bear witness that he is the Messiah. And I think that's something that you've already made mention of. Uh, for example, when, um, when messengers are sent from John the Baptist mm-hmm. to Jesus, asking if uh, he's the Messiah, or he is the one, or should they look for another, how does he respond? He says, well, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed the deaf hear the dead are raised uh that's in luke uh, chapter 7 that particular uh, uh, way that that passage uh, is reported but so that that's that's interesting that jesus himself knows that the working of miracles the signs and wonders that he does are evidence of his messiahship and that harks harks back to his testimony in the in the nazareth synagogue where he's he lists what he will do you know he will give sight to the blind and and he will uh, heal the brokenhearted and and all of the aspects of his ministry um, are tied up with what he does his actions in performing great miracles Uh, we could talk a little bit about the the characteristics of jesus's miracles Um, they always had a high moral purpose they seem always beneficent um, or uh, maybe we should say uh, they were always done to further the purposes of the father, which is a point that, that you have made. Uh, they were never for a selfish purpose. Uh, we look at uh, at uh, two examples or contrasting examples. He refused to turn stones to bread uh, while he was being tempted of the adversary in matthew 4 or to save himself from the cross uh, as the crowds taunt him uh, recorded in matthew chapter 26 and yet he's perfectly willing to turn water into wine at this social celebration or to multiply a few loaves and fishes into this great supply of a feast so we see miracles then telling us that jesus did nothing for selfish purposes but as the book of mormon says he he does what he does because he loves the world he loves heavenly father's uh, children um for the most part i think we can say that uh, jesus's miracles do not appear to be pre-planned or premeditated but arise out of the situation at hand Uh, There are some exceptions to that. One that immediately comes to mind is the raising of Lazarus from the dead. I think we see in John chapter 11 that Jesus purposely waits uh, Mm -hmm. to go to Bethany uh, to heal uh, his, his beloved friend Lazarus because he has other purposes in mind. So most of the time i think they're not pre-planned but there are some that truly are yeah um it, it's also an important thing to point out which is obvious to most of our listeners that uh where evidence uh, where faith is lacking uh jesus could not do uh, mighty miracles <laughs> i i love that the, the the chapter or the uh, The section in Mark, Mark chapter six, where uh, Jesus, where we are told that uh, in Nazareth, he could do no mighty work, uh, parentheses, save he laid his hands on a few sick folk and healed them. uh, But he ends up marveling because of their unbelief. Yeah. So uh, faith is key to the performing.
0: Of his miracles uh, and he says about, that several times uh to people you know if you have faith this yeah. miracle can happen and and we even have this story. you know well help my unbelief right but uh, uh yeah. it's very clear despite his great power that we have an important role to play in this and that is our faith
1: and and i i guess i would like to emphasize that this really is um An aspect of Jesus' ministry that we can clearly apply to our own lives. We liken the scriptures to ourselves, and that is this concept of faith. Um, I I think I have been guilty of this, uh, where I uh, pray, thinking I'm praying in faith, or I form an administration of priesthood blessing, but then sort of tentatively wait to see if God is really listening or you know, if, if somehow this is proof that he uh, it, it, that he really does exist. And and that's not really the kind of faith that Jesus is talking about. Faith is a trust. Faith is an assurance. Uh, faith is bound up with uh, the concept of hope. I mean, how many times do this faith and hope go together? Almost yeah. like they're you can't tease them apart and hope itself from the Greek word elpis. Uh, means expectation, and so just kind of this tentative wishy-washy, well, maybe it'll happen and maybe it won't, is not the kind of faith that Jesus wants us to possess. It is faith that is uh, synonymous with trust that our Heavenly Father and His Son will do what they say they will do, and everything that they do will be for our good. Um, I love the classic definition of faith in Hebrews. You know, it's the substance of things hoped for; it's the evidence of things not seen. And then the JST correction there—that uh, the, that substance is assurance. It's the assurance yeah. of things hoped for; the evidence of things not seen. So I'm sorry, I'm sounding like I'm on my soapbox, but I, I think that this is really one of those principles where it has tremendous application to us in our day uh, what faith is and what faith can do
0: right I could not agree more and as as you say it I mean of course we want we always have to know okay you know according to God's will but yeah uh, but even as you bring up that that uh, notion of expectation right it reminds me that it's only about a year ago that um, President Nelson our current prophet told us to pray for and expect miracles. That's right. Right. So if that's, if a current prophet is telling us to do that, if that's not making these scriptures real, if that's not saying that these things can happen in our life, if we have that that expectation or that faith, uh, then I don't know what is. And that's that's had an effect on me. I've started to notice more miracles, and I've started to pray for more miracles. And sometimes I don't get the big miracles I want, Instead, I get a bunch of little ones along the way, but uh, but it's all good. Well, well, and I think that that's another key
1: point to be made about faith and about miracles uh, and about revelation, uh, frankly, that uh, miracles are on a continuum, not of importance, but of dramaticness, if there yeah. is such a word, that even the small miracles are evidence of God's listening to us. And, you know, there are big, dramatic miracles, just as there are big, dramatic moments of revelation. Uh, But, you know, the appearance of the Father and the Son was very dramatic. But I don't think it's any more important on this continuum than the little miracles that are sent our way. And and we ought to be grateful. And and In fact, uh, my wife and I, Janet, were talking about this just yesterday. Uh, Neither one of us could remember a time when this idea of praying for miracles was preached uh, so profoundly. So with so much power then uh, during president Nelson's administration, pray for miracles. Yeah. Yeah. And and so expect them (laughs) and expect them. yeah. And this is, this is the the point of faith. And this is the point of miracles. Let me just briefly touch before we move to our concluding section on the purpose of miracles. Uh, The methods of healing are interesting.
0: Before you do that, if it's all right, uh, as you've said that, you've just reminded me of uh, something that that happened when I was a student at at BYU that might be worth bringing up here. I I went to a a state conference, and it was actually like uh, they decided to have like seven or eight, uh, we called them BYU stakes, then they'd be YSA stakes now, uh, having a state conference in the Marriott Center, and uh, then Elder, now President, but then Elder Oaks was the speaker. And he was speaking about something else, and then kind of extemporaneously spoke about miracles. Mm. And uh, he told us a few things about them that, that have really uh, remained with me. So one, he said, you know, people ask me, why don't we see miracles now like we do in the, the days of the Savior and the early days of the restoration? And he said, well, one, there are more miracles happening than you are aware of. And he shared a couple stories. I don't remember all of them. One I remember was about Elder Scott, who uh, stopped a flood uh, at at one point in Mm -hmm. in South America, I believe. And Anyway, he said, they're happening more than you know. Um, But uh, two, when we look at uh, like the Savior's Day or the Restoration, we are looking at uh, larger periods of time with the highlight events condensed into a, a small reading assignment, right? So that you see, sure. um, uh, it, it just seems like it's more miracles than, uh, what we are experiencing as we live our life in real time, rather than, uh, looking at, at the journal. Right. Um, but he said three, uh, often we don't notice them and we don't record them. And, uh, this reminds me of president Eyring encouraging us to write in our journals when we see the hand of God in our life. And, and when we do that, we do start to notice the miracles more. Um, my, my, my wife uh, is a particularly good example
1: of that. Every night she will uh, record in her journal, and she's starting to fill up many books about uh, recording uh, the hand of God in either the lives of our of our family members or in the lives of friends. So she really does uh, was does do that, uh, and, and it I makes I'm a difference. So you see them, for. yeah. Oh, well, be. and that's the point, isn't it? Is that it's not that they're not happening; it's just that we aren't uh, spiritually clued in enough to, to make note of them. Yeah. And we're, it's kind of, you know, the fog of mortality. We just, you know, we're, and th- these are not bad things, but we're caught up in or earning a living and, yeah. you know, paying the bills and just getting our kids to school and educating and worrying about the dog who's sick and all yeah. of these kinds of things. And uh, and it, it really they really are happening. If I can be so bold as to provide a uh, a uh, what a uh, not quite a week old example of the small miracles that happen uh, at the missionary training center in Provo, we have or we're privileged to have every Tuesday night a general authority devotional, and this last week was uh, President M. Russell Ballard and. He said a number of wonderful things, but among them was um, his experience returning home from his mission in England. And he and his companion uh, made their way to New York at the end of their uh, their mission, and they were being honorably released. And they had a chance to go to the Sacred Grove. And he said they were there uh, one day, and it was completely empty, and it was just he and his companion. And so. Uh, president ballard suggested they go off and uh, and he said uh, he he honestly prayed to know that if what he did during his uh, uh ministry as a full-time missionary was acceptable to the lord and he said it was a cloudy day and so they uh, they each in their separate uh areas of the of the grove and he prayed for this and then he said uh all of a sudden, the clouds parted, and a shaft of sunlight came down and hit both of them. Um, and he said that that was a obviously a miracle uh, that <clears throat> the Lord was answering his prayers well, and and now, given all that President Ballard has accomplished in his life, we look back and say, well, yeah, that that makes sense. You know, <laughs> the yeah. Lord knew who he was." talking to but that's available to everybody yes. those those small seemingly uh what maybe to some inconsequential but certainly not to those who who uh have the the spirit of of prophecy and revelation and have uh, and look to apply the scriptures and life's uh, events to their profit and understanding so that's a that's an important uh yeah. important principle that you bring up
0: let me bring up just maybe the last point that that uh, Elder Oaks made that day, which was, and this goes back to what, some of what we were just talking about. He said, "We also live in a day of—I I can't remember if he used the phrase, but basically, post-scientific revolution, where we don't expect miracles very much, yeah. and when we're not looking for them, we're not going to to see them." And uh, this brings us right back to what you were talking about. We are being encouraged to believe, pray for and expect and see miracles. And and I hope that reading the New Testament this year, these stories will uh, encourage us in that. So sorry for that interruption. Yeah, Uh, uh, just a a word or two about the
1: methods uh, that Jesus used. Um, The Gospels do not record any instances of Jesus using medicines, uh, not even juices or herbs or grasses. Jesus did use the spittle, spit, yeah. in healing there are examples of that uh, clay made with spittle uh and it's nowhere stated that jesus used oil in healing interestingly mm-hmm. enough but the disciples certainly did we're all aware of john or of uh, james chapter five uh and uh, this was un- under his direction so uh, we know that uh that jesus uh Uh, laid hands on people. He touched people. Sometimes he uh, healed or performed miracles simply by the word of his power. Uh, Some of these healings were so far distant from his physical being that no contact, physical contact was possible. Uh, But we see examples of that in the gospels, Matthew chapter eight, for, uh, for example, where mighty works were done by his word uh, alone and that helps us to appreciate the the godly power that the savior possessed um i i i uh, i know we're uh, if not running short on time we're out of time but no, if no, we're you okay. wouldn't, wouldn't mind i i'd like to i'd like to just turn our attention uh, finally to the purpose of Jesus's miracles and maybe discuss some examples um since there are different kinds of of uh, miracles uh, it's uh, obvious that there would be more than one purpose involved and so i've uh, i have eight uh, purposes there there everyone is encouraged to make their own list but these are at least eight that that can be used as a springboard um the The basic purpose, I think, is we look at all of Jesus's miracles, uh, seem to be rooted in his compassion, his love for a heavenly Father's children. And uh, I honestly believe, and I have taught this before, and nobody's corrected me on it, uh, that uh, the essence of the Savior's personality, that he had a personality. he was uh, he he walked the earth. Uh, the, but the essence of his personality was compassion. Uh, I think it, uh, he just could not uh, help but uh, it, it minister to people that he knew were hurting uh, if he saw even a desire to believe. And, uh, and I've always appreciated that about, uh, about the life of the saviors that uh, that's the essence of who he really is it, if you strip away everything else it is this pure love that uh, moroni chapter 7 talks about um, and 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 many times in the four gospels the word compassion is used of the savior well he had compassion on him. yeah he wanted to be alone to perhaps mourn the death of his of his relative john the baptist uh, but he saw a great crowd following him and he was filled with compassion those that's i think the uh, the 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 joy of being able to
0: read about his miracles is to realize something about and him you see that even a little bit uh, in the book of mormon right when he wants to, to leave, but there are many who want to be healed. And he says his bowels are filled with mercy for them, right? He, exactly. he, almost, he almost just can't help himself. Okay, that's I'll, right. I'll help he, you. He, can't,
1: yeah. he cannot help himself because that's who he is. That's his very nature. That's his essence. Um, another purpose is to give evidence of his divine mission and power, which we have talked about, and uh, so that the honest in heart, uh, would have their faith and their belief increased, uh, and that they would be strengthened. and we we uh, there are a number of examples of this, uh, the very first miracle, for example, uh, in John chapter two, verse eleven. Um, so we encourage our our listeners to look for those miracles that give evidence of his divine mission, his divine power which strengthen faith. Uh, Another purpose, uh, to teach uh, everyone that he was the master of the elements of the earth on the land, on the sea, the air, uh, the unseen world, uh, if you will. Uh, I love, because I have, and you have used it so often when teaching in the Holy Land, the story in mark chapter four about jesus calming the sea uh, of galilee and uh, and that's mark four isn't the only place we could go but uh, mark four is contains a phrase that i have often wondered about um he's uh he's asleep in uh, the back part of the ship uh, on on a pillow uh, which is interesting he 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 gets so tired physically. Yeah. He gets so tired that he can he can sleep uh, even when uh, the wind starts churning the waves uh, on the Sea of Galilee, and uh, so the disciples, the apostles, are really fearful for their lives. Don't you care if we perish? And he arises and rebukes the wind and the sea. Peace be still. But then this line. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Well, calm is calm. I mean, you know, that's the very definition of the word. There's a cessation of turmoil. What does it mean that there's a great calm? And I wonder if, if that, uh, at least in part, isn't inserted there to help us appreciate that the calm was not only the physical elements, but the calm occurred. In the minds and hearts of his disciples which is maybe even the greater uh, miracle uh, on that situation in that situation and then of course uh the very very important teaching where jesus is how come you're so fearful Yeah, don't you have any faith and and this again goes back to our conversation of faith and the fact that fear uh is detrimental to our faith and in fact fear as fear rises uh, in us, faith decreases or diminishes. Contrary wise, if faith increases in our lives, fear diminishes and, until it becomes um, almost completely non-existent uh, for some individuals whom we can point to even in the scriptures. So this is a passage about the faith fear quotient and and the fact that love, the kind of love that Jesus possesses, as we're told in Moroni chapter eight, perfect love casteth out fear, and uh, and this is, um, I think, one of the blessings
0: of knowing about uh, these miracles um before you go on maybe i can please. and i hope this isn't too tangential but uh, as we're talking about these miracles and clearly we, we can learn symbolically from them as well and maybe that's one of your points sorry if it is but but talking about this very one um and the great calm that came immediately um okay. and i've i've been and i'm sure you have as well on the, on the sea of galilee when winds come quickly and they whip up really big waves. I mean, I've been in waves that were five, six feet tall. I hear they get even bigger or I've, I've not been in them. I've seen them. I've been standing on the shore, seeing five, uh, five foot mm-hmm. to five, between five and six foot tall waves. And so they get big there, but, uh, I've spent a, a lot of time boating, kayaking, these kinds of things. And, and I have to say, when you get on a kind of narrow body of water, like the sea of Galilee is, and wind comes and creates big waves, when the wind dies, the waves don't immediately go away because they've got momentum, plus they're hitting shores and bouncing back. And so you just keep this churning. They may not be the same big ones that are all going one direction, but you get this churning that just keeps going back and forth. And as a water skier, I hate that because I want it to go immediately glass so I can ski again, mm-hmm. but it takes a while. But it seems like in this case, that didn't happen. There was <laughs> the great calm, as you say, I think both of the people, but, but, but on the water itself, that when the wind stopped, the waves stopped also. And and symbolically that I think that speaks to that calm that you're talking about, because often in life, after very difficult things, there can be some emotional residue. Mm-hmm. But the savior is able to instead make that calm, give us that peace. And I think there's something really significant about that. So that's that's a little tangential to our talking about the the purposes behind these. But I I I think since we brought that miracle up, I couldn't help myself. So so no, that's I, I. think
1: that that's a that's a, a, a an excellent point to be made. Uh, I have been on the Sea of Galilee when the waves have actually <clears throat> exceeded uh, ten feet, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and it's been with BYU students, and it's been early in the morning uh, when you know the the uh, warm, moist air from the Sea of Galilee rises and collides with the the cold, dry air coming off. Of the syrian highlands and it causes this pressure differential and it just slams into the sea of galilee and uh, we were sitting in the front part of one of the fishing boats fishing with parentheses around it, one of the tourist boats out in the middle of the sea when the waves came up and one wave came crashing over the bow and was so powerful that some students some women uh, who were standing up towards the front of the boat actually were knocked down and soaked by mm. this wave, and so that's, and those are tall boats. Those are big boats, and so this is to speak to to your point that it, I we can understand and appreciate why the, the disciples, the apostles, were fearful. Because I was fearful, you know, yeah. I didn't want anybody to get hurt. So anyway, I I think that uh, that. The, the point that you made is, is an important one uh, as well. Uh, we also notice that uh, that Jesus um, uses miracles to demonstrate his power over death. There yeah. are three times uh, in the in the Gospels that are recorded that Jesus raised uh, a dead person back to life, and uh, and this is like some of the great miracles that are talked about an example of of what will become his greatest miracle which is the resurrection yes. and we've had prophets of god talk about the resurrection being the greatest miracle of all and they foreshadow the resurrection uh, which is an important i think point to to consider yes. uh maybe uh, uh just uh to conclude this part, um, th- three three more. Uh, one is that some miracles are performed by Jesus to expose the uh, self-righteous attitudes of the scribes and the Pharisees uh, and the Sadducees to point out that, uh, that their knowledge of things is not um, the most important uh, aspect uh, of their Jewish faith, but rather, Humility, which is emphasized, and uh, and seeking with all of their might, mind, and strength to listen to uh, God. Uh, yeah, to... along
0: those lines, in particular, that the man with the withered hand, uh, the Savior really does seem to be performing that miracle almost to prompt the the argument, uh, right? Here. Yeah, You're almost like you can almost picture him saying to his apostles, "Hey, watch this." And then um, saying, stretch forth your hand and healing it just so he can argue with it and and not to argue, but teach Um, Teach that 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 particular group of Pharisees that are probably from the school of Shammai, but uh, that particular group of Pharisees uh, did not interpret the Sabbath laws the way that he feels we should. Yeah. And so we do we have um,
1: several examples of of that. Uh, so it, miracles were always beneficent. They were always to bless and benefit lives. But they were also to bring up short uh, those who were the opponents of, of yeah. the Savior, which is, I think, uh, an interesting uh, point. And, and uh, I guess this uh, this is uh, reveals the perverse side of me, but I enjoy reading those uh, in the,
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. the four <laughs> Gospels. Yeah, And I don't mean to intimate that the man with the withered hand wasn't happy to have his hand healed. No, no. Didn't care about him, but But I I think it was a multi-purpose miracle. Yeah, Yeah.
1: his blessing is used to to teach a valuable principle to others. Um, uh, One of the things that I have uh, been intrigued by uh, and uh, looked at, I I guess um, probably more than other aspects uh, of the Gospels is is the the performance of miracles wonders to demonstrate jesus's ability to heal not only the body but also the soul which is hmm. his i think probably his uh his highest aim yeah. is to make sure that uh, that these these healings these miracles um, affected the spirituality of the person that really affected their standing before god and uh, and one of my very favorite ones uh, is found in Mark chapter two. And I'd like to to go there and uh, I'm going to read some verses if that's okay. I'll read yeah. it quickly. Uh, but again, this occurs in Capernaum, uh, the city of miracles, the city of Jesus's uh, ministry, the capital of the, of the church at at his time. So uh Mark chapter 2, verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, so this is not just the, the faith of the person that that is sick with paralysis. This is the faith of those that bore him, that took him to Jesus. And he said unto the sick of the palsy son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Immediately, Jesus is able to recognize the faith of this sick man and the faith of those that were with him. Uh, I I think that that is tangible in some people. You can feel their faith. You can see their faith. This is not even a a question, but it's built up over the years of of righteous living, if you will. And so I imagine this in my mind happening, happening this way. When this happens, thy sins be forgiven thee, There were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak thus blasphemies? And then uh, Jesus perceives uh, their hearts. He perceives their attitudes and he asks them, why do you reason this way? Why reason ye these things in your heart? Whether it is easier to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say arise and take up thy bed and walk. And to me, that is one of the great principles about miracles, that uh, the same grace, the same power of God that by which we are, our sins are forgiven and our sins are removed is also that same state of grace or that
0: same power by which we are healed physically. This is such a a fantastic story uh, with uh, such a great miracle. And I'll just remind our audience, we talked about this in depth in the episode with John Hilton. uh, And so you may want to go back and listen to that episode to get this miracle in depth. And and James
1: 5 uh, in the New Testament speaks to this. And uh, you remember that our readers will remember that James chapter, or James, the book of James, is written by the Lord's half-brother. Uh, Whose name is actually Jacob or Jacob? Um, but that's that's all the
0: James's, their name is really Jacob, yeah,
1: yeah. So, uh, James chapter five, and the this, these are the these are James's words, but I suspect he's quoting his brother Jesus, um. And, he, and, he, and it begins in verse 14, James 5, 14. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So there we see the use of oil. Jesus may not have used it, but they did uh, under his direction. Verse 15. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Hmm. That is an amazing uh, correspondence. The the same power, the same state of grace by which our sins are remitted, our sins are removed is the same power, the same condition of grace by which we are healed physically. And so uh, maybe applying that to our lives, if we can... Uh, think back on a time when uh, through a priesthood administration or uh, a prayer of faith uh, worked a miracle, then we can know at that point, at least, that not only were we healed physically, but our sins were removed. And I love, I truly love that concept. By the way, the same principle applies when we bear testimony. That when we bear testimony, the angels take note of that, and if we have committed sins, they are forgiven. So there must be uh, in the economy of God this broad, general, but profound principle that um, the 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 soul-body connection is quite real when we're. When we're healed yeah. physically, we're healed spiritually. And that was uh, Jesus's ultimate purpose, I think, is to heal all of us spiritually. Uh, physically, yes, because it's tough to be spiritual when you're ailing physically. I think we all know that. But the greater uh, desire and the, the, and the greater goal was to heal us spiritually. So th- those, just to bring at least my part of this discussion to a conclusion, I am so grateful that we have, Miracles, which not only demonstrate the Lord's power, but he'll teach us profound uh, doctrine in the performance of of these miracles. Um, And sometimes uh, it's not a question of whether or not we have the faith when we don't see uh, our requests fulfilled exactly as we want them to. It may not be because we're lacking in faith. All things are in the hands of God, as I think you made reference to. And if people are healed, it's because that is in harmony with God's purpose, who knows everything. There isn't anything he doesn't know. He knows uh, the, uh, the beginning. He knows the end from the beginning. Uh, he knows the future, according to Mormon chapter 1, verse 7. There isn't anything he knows. Therefore, we must trust in, in, always trust in his love and his compassion and his mercy and his wisdom, who knows how to to bring us back to our heavenly home. so i'm uh, I love talking about the miracles, and I love thinking about them. I pray with all of my heart that uh, I will remain true and faithful to the things that the miracles in my life have taught me. Uh, I, I can list uh, miracles that have happened. And these are genuine miracles that, that uh, have changed my life, changed uh, the lives of others. Uh, so at least at this moment in my life, I can testify with a surety that miracles are real, uh, that they are part of the Savior's mortal ministry, not an add-on to it and that they are available to us, that we can pray for them, and that they, uh, according to God's will, they will be granted to us. And I uh, say that, uh, I hope, uh, uh, appropriately, in the name of
0: Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Andy. Uh, It's such a wonderful topic, and you've taught us so well. I'm grateful for the discussion, and I am sure that many of our listeners have been touched and have heard something that they they needed and they probably can think of other people that need it and, and we'll share it with them but thank you for that discussion thank and you. most of all thank thank God absolutely yeah
1: all things are in his control yeah. and so and we're grateful, grateful for that too if yeah, <laughs> they were yeah. in my
0: control it would be it'd be a real mess <laughs> <laughs> well I didn't want to say anything but anyway yeah, right. well we all hope right. you and everyone has a, a wonderful day thank you thank you very much